0: Pes planus, often referred to as flat foot, describes the lowered position of the medial longitudinal arch of the foot. When this deformity is present during weight-bearing but is able to be corrected to neutral in a non-weight-bearing condition and or with manipulation, it is termed flexible. Flexible flat feet are commonly treated with either functional foot orthoses FFOs, or University of California Berkeley Laboratory, UCBL Orthosis Designs. An establishment of the relationships between the foot posture index, patient comfort and compliance, and spatiotemporal measures of gait, which could be influenced by foot orthoses, such as FFOs and UCBL orthoses, may improve consistency in their application and patient outcomes. Hi, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to episode 23 of o Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetists. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. My guest today is Dr. Ashley Mullen, Ph.D., MSAT, CPO. Dr. Mullen is an Associate Professor in the School of Health Professions of Baylor College of Medicine and the Program Director of the Orthotics and Prosthetics Program. She completed her undergraduate degree from Rice University and her master's in athletic training from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Dr. Mullen earned her orthotic certificate from the Newington Certificate Program and her prosthetic certificate from Northwestern. While continuing to work at Baylor College of Medicine, she went back to school in 2016 to earn her Ph.D. in higher education. Dr. Mullen lives in a suburb of Houston with her husband and two children. In her spare time, she enjoys figure skating. Today, we will be discussing a recent article that Dr. Mullen published in JPO entitled Immediate Impacts of Two Foot Orthotic Designs on Foot Posture Index, Gait, and Comfort in Adults with Asymptomatic Flexible Pest Planus. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Gard.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here today, and I'd like to jump right into this article and start out by asking, why does this topic interest you?
1: The topic of foot orthoses interests me for a few reasons. The first of which is that I taught the pedorthics course in our orthotics and prosthetics program for a number of years. Also, I didn't know it at the time, but making foot orthoses as an athletic trainer was actually one of my first exposures to the orthotics profession. And I've always viewed the foot as foundational to lower limb orthotic interventions. I'm grateful that early in my OMP career, I spent a lot of time working with foot orthoses and treating patients with diabetic shoes and inserts. And so I think it taught me a lot about the importance of that care and that work, and how we can build upon that knowledge for the rest of the lower limb.
0: So what was the motivation for this particular study?
1: This study was actually inspired by two of our former students who were also authors on the study. That's Reagan Holscher Thompson and Michelle Forbes. When it came time for them to pursue a master's research project, they approached me wanting to dig deeper into the clinical decision making between using a functional foot orthosis and a UCBL orthosis. In clinical care, I felt like I had developed an eye for the relationship between foot posture and orthotic decision making. But I couldn't point to any guidelines for the students in terms of making those decisions. Additionally, in the pedorthics class, I had noted that UCBLs aren't often provided for the adult population, and Reagan and Michelle wanted to evaluate possible reasons for it with comfort or compliance being two possible differentiators.
0: So what was the purpose of your study?
1: The general purpose of the study was to compare the effects of functional foot orthoses, and UCBL orthoses in correcting pes valgus. Specifically, we examined foot posture index, comfort, and spatial temporal parameters of gait. We actually had intended to do a longitudinal assessment of comfort and compliance, which we had started, but the COVID-19 pandemic actually stopped data collection for that part of the study. I would like to mention three Other former students, Alexandria Prashad, Audrey Patterson, and Jessica Schallenberger, who had picked up that longitudinal part of the study.
0: So a lot of times we go into these studies with a certain sense of what the outcomes are going to be. So what were your expectations for the study?
1: We expected participants to report that the FFOs were more comfortable than the UCBLs. We also expected the UCBLs to result in a more neutral foot alignment than the functional foot orthoses. In regard to spatial temporal parameters, we expected a change in walking velocity and foot progression angle due to either potential discomfort or that increase in foot posture correction.
0: So let's get into the methods a little bit here. What were the inclusion exclusion criteria for your research participants?
1: Participants in our study had to be between the ages of 18 and 65 and self report flat feet. Once they reached out to us, we screened them via the foot posture index, and only participants who scored higher than a six bilaterally on the foot posture index and those participants who we deemed to have a flexible and correctable hindfoot, midfoot, and forefoot were included in the study.
0: So, can you provide a little bit of detail about the fabrication and fitting of the custom FFOs in UCBL orthoses?
1: Sure. The foot orthoses were all fabricated from a slipper mold taken in a traditional method with the subject in a prone position and the knee flexed to 90 degrees. The ankle was positioned at 90 degrees and the subtalar joint at neutral. And then the clinician taking the mold placed a thumb on the fourth and fifth metatarsal heads to load the forefoot. Both of the orthotic designs were fabricated from the same mold at the same fabrication facility. They were all made from 8 inch polypropylene with a neutral crepe heel post. This design does differ slightly from the traditional UCBL, which uses a polypropylene heel post, but we were wanting to make sure that the two orthoses looked as similar as possible to the participants.
0: What different conditions did you evaluate and how did you go about collecting data?
1: With the participants barefoot, we evaluated navicular drop, foot posture index, and foot flexibility. With the participants standing in the functional foot orthoses and the UCBLs on a safe surface, so they did not have shoes on, we then reevaluated foot posture index. We had the participants walk for two passes in three conditions that were randomized in the study. They walked in shoes only, shoes with the functional foot orthoses and shoes with the UCBLs on a Xenomat walkway, after which we asked the participant to report anticipated comfort and compliance on a Likert scale following the end of all three trials. So they were directly comparing the comfort and their perceived compliance or potential compliance after using both designs.
0: So how many subjects did you end up including in your study?
1: We had 19 individuals that reached out to us for participation. And 14 were included after meeting the screening criteria. However, only 13 were able to complete the study. One of the participants sustained a foot injury and was not able to do final data collection. The participant who wasn't able to complete the study did not sustain the injury due to foot orthotic intervention.
0: That's good to know. Thank you very much. So what were the demographics of your participants?
1: So considering that our recruitment took place on a graduate school campus, our sample population had a median age of 25, so fairly young sample population. We had seven men and six women participate in the study. I think it's important to highlight that to be included in the study, participants had to indicate that their flat foot was asymptomatic, which could have an impact on the results of our study. So, what were some of the
0: primary findings of your investigation?
1: We found a statistically significant decrease in foot posture index from baseline to functional foot orthoses and baseline to UCBL condition with no difference between the two orthotic designs. While the UCBL trended towards providing a more neutral foot posture index score, again, there was no statistical significance. Interestingly, there was no significant difference between ratings of comfort and compliance. And even though we use Likert scale ratings, which do have limitations, within subject comparisons reiterated that there was minimal to no difference in immediate comfort for participants between the two designs.
0: So, did you find any substantial differences in outcome measures between the two associates' designs?
1: The most clinically relevant difference we found was the correction in the foot posture index, with the UCBL providing more correction than the functional foot orthoses, even though it wasn't statistically significant.
0: Do your findings support or refute those from previous studies?
1: Our findings do align with previous studies, which have demonstrated the benefit of a custom-made foot orthosis in terms of the degree of foot posture correction, there was a paper by Madi and colleagues which evaluated the difference between a prefabricated foot orthosis and a UCBL for pediatric patients with symptomatic conditions. They found using a foot orthosis did improve various radiographic measures of foot alignment with minimal difference between the two designs, specifically noting that the higher trim lines of a UCBL didn't seem to have a significant impact. Additionally, a previous systematic review by Banwell and colleagues found that Planar surface mold modifications and rear foot postings do have an effect on foot alignment, which we observed in our study.
0: So, what guidance can you provide to, to uh, orthodists when deciding between the FFO or UCBL orthosis designs?
1: I think orthodists and pedorthosis can easily observe alignment correction when using foot orthoses as treatment for pes planus. However, using an objective measure like the foot posture index helps to document and demonstrate that correction. In our study, we were able to obtain on average a four to six point reduction in foot posture index scores with orthotic interventions while participants reported fairly high comfort and anticipated compliance ratings. I think both interventions can be effective and we need to do some more work investigating the nuances of foot orthotic design to have a definitive guideline for intervention. For example, adjusting the aggressiveness of the Carlson modification or extending the lateral trim line on the forefoot of the UCBL may make a substantial amount of difference in alignment. This may seem like a simple thing to evaluate with a study, but we really have few studies in orthotics which account for these design modifications which we use commonly in clinical practice.
0: Were there any unanticipated surprises in your findings? And if so, can you explain them?
1: Sure. We were surprised to find limited statistically significant differences in spatial temporal parameters. While percentage of time spent in stance did significantly increase 1% in the UCBL condition as compared to baseline, we expected to observe more changes in other parameters. It's very possible that the inclusion criteria of having asymptomatic pest planus may have impacted these findings, as our participants may have been able to more easily adjust uh, their gait parameters within the, the two different orthosis conditions.
0: Now, for the benefit of those audience members who may be interested in trying to replicate this study, did you encounter any notable problems in the course of your study And if so, what would you have done differently?
1: Sure. One thing about research is the learning that occurs every time that you do a study, no matter how much you thought through the whole process. I think the biggest thing we might change if we were to repeat the study is to have used two separate molds for fabrication of the foot orthoses. This would have allowed us to utilize some more aggressive modification techniques when fabricating the UCBL design rather than just adjusting the trim lines of the two orthotic conditions. However, the fact that we use the same molds does allow us to have a more direct comparison based upon those trim lines. So we see that the height of the UCBL trim lines didn't seem to have a statistically significant effect, even though foot posture trended towards more improvement. We also discussed as a research team that we'd like to repeat the study and add a condition in which we had a UCBL orthosis with an extended lateral trim line, which has been shown to provide more correction to forefoot abduction that we see in pes valgus, we think that we would have seen a little bit different findings.
0: Now, you're getting into kind of future research recommendations here. So let, let me go ahead and ask, you: do you have any recommendations for future research directions based on your findings?
1: Absolutely. As I've already mentioned, there are a few directions one could build from this work. The first would be a longitudinal assessment. I think that would be incredibly meaningful for us as clinicians. We all know an immediate response from a patient can be very different from their feedback a week after breaking in and wearing an orthosis. The second would be repeating the study with a symptomatic population and even potentially a population who may have had more rigid feet to see if we had similar findings. The third would be we wanted to dig a bit deeper into the navicular drop scores as a potential decision-making factor for foot orthosis design. So relating those visible exam findings at an initial evaluation to outcomes with foot orthosis design. Another would be considering trim line modifications, as I just mentioned, as an important step to fine-tuning or orthotic design approach. And finally, we discussed wanting to evaluate dimensional changes across the foot posture index, which looks at different parameters of foot posture. We were interested to see if certain corrections in those dimensions might be more meaningful than others.
0: So Ashley, what are the main clinical takeaways of your study?
1: I hope the methodology is one of the main clinical takeaways. The foot posture index is a very quick and easy objective measure to use in clinical practice. If an orthotist or a pedorthist is seeing a lot of patients, it's a great outcome measure to use and document in your charts. Functional foot orthoses and UCBL orthoses seem to be similarly effective in our small sample. So I don't believe we have definitive findings steering a clinician toward one design over the other, but we do have evidence to show that they can be effective and correcting foot posture with at least minimal to no immediate impact on comfort.
0: Very nice. And I always like to conclude my interviews with a question about funding. Would you like to acknowledge any funding you received to conduct this study?
1: Yes, thank you so much. I'd very much like to thank the Pedorthic Foundation for their generous support of this project. They took a chance on a newbie researcher and her students, and they offered us an opportunity to contribute to the knowledge base in this profession that we all love. I'd also like to thank uh, the additional co-authors on the paper, Sally Kenworthy and Katie Patterson, for their help in bringing this manuscript to fruition.
0: Excellent work, Ashley. And thank you for publishing your article in JPO. Thank you. We've come to the end of our podcast, so I'd like to thank Dr. Mullen for sharing her insights and discussing her research with us here today like to remind everyone that if you would like additional information on this project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of OIP Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's ONP Research Insights podcast, where we'll be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for O&P professionals ONP Clinical Insiders, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care, and the award winning ONP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our industry.